Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Bellpod, the podcast dedicated to Belarusian football. In this episode, we'll start by taking a look back at five of the things we like most about events on and off the field in August, in a country which continues to captivate and enchant us. In part two, we'll hear from Jack Gillies, a young man who shares our passion for all things Belarus and has a particular interest in the women's game over there. And in the absence of Vichyshire Liga action this weekend, we'll finish off by taking a look at the standout fixtures in the Vichyshire Liga, with an ever-increasing number of teams battling it out for a top three finish. Hello again. I hope you've had a lovely summer holiday. I'm sure most of you have been somewhere, even if it isn't out of the country. Um, we are quite aware that last time we were quite miserable because, well, you know, all the teams had uh, exited Europe. So we thought this time, as uh, August has ended and September has begun, we'd focus on five things that we really liked in August, John. And I'm going to start us off with the uh, selection for the uh, upcoming internationals. Yes, uh, Georgi Kondriatev has really gone for a very different squad this time, and there's a number of talking points there. Quite a few big names not in the squad. Um, no Gutor, uh, no Stashevich, no players from Gomel either, who we'll go on to talk about uh, in, later on in the programme. Uh, I'm very interested in the goalkeepers he's chosen, and delighted to see Chernik of Shachor finally getting called up and I think he's got a really good opportunity there. I think the number one spots between him and Pavlyuchenko of, of Ruch. Uh, but a lot of interesting selections throughout the squad. Uh, he's gone with six players in total, I think, from Ruch, um, which is interesting for me. Uh, he's also picked the forwards for me, Liam, are interesting because he's picked Skavish who's now at Shatchor, of course, and he's looked dreadful since he's moved to Shatchor. Vitaly, of course, and Dmitry Antolevsky of, of Torpedo. So no Solovey, which quite surprised me um, as well, but maybe he had a look at him in the last friendly squad and decided he didn't really need to see any more of him. I don't know, what's your opinion on his selection? Yeah, I think what, what I like about this, this is the first of the five things that we like, is there is a sense that you've been given a chance, isn't there? There's a, there's a sense that they, you know, mm. there's a lot, not, not a lot to lose here. They're not going to qualify, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So we might as well already sort of write this particular qualification campaign off and think about uh, Euro 2024 campaign. Yeah. I am surprised by the abs- absence of Solovey. I don't quite understand that one. But generally, I think the steer is towards youth. And I think that's crucial because we've talked in the past, haven't we, about how the national team is full of players who are reaching the end of their careers and, and not a huge amount of their motivation and you know not an awful lot of energy either and I'm pleased to see a number of players here given a chance who are perhaps you know a bit younger and obviously delighted for uh, Ruslan Nisakovic to, to have been involved at this stage exactly the kind of player I want to see uh, playing in games that are going to be incredibly difficult but uh, undoubtedly will be a brilliant experience for him and hopefully he'll he'll grow from that and go on to be a key part of what they do in the next qualifying campaign. So, yeah, I, I'm pleased overall. I think it's a, it's a positive move, um, even though, as, as, as you said, I think Salovey is the one exception to the rule in terms of what I'd like to have seen in the squad. I'd much rather have seen him in the squad than Scarvish, for instance, who, as you mentioned, yeah. hasn't exactly ripped it up as, no. as Shakhtar so far. So um, that was our first thing. Uh, and uh, we've just mentioned also that uh, Gommel don't seem to have any representation, which is a little bit strange. We're not going to say too much more about that, are we, John? Um, but um, certainly, certainly, I've been so pleased at Gommel. I know we've raved on about them before. 
I think crucially for me, they lost at Neyman, who we'll also mention later on. I keep waiting for them to fade, John. I keep waiting for them to uh, to hit the wall. And they just don't, do they? They just keep on going. And if you look at it now, you know, if they win their games in hand, they're, they're going to be right up there in the European shout still with like less than a third of the season to go, which is quite remarkable, isn't it? I think so. They've had an amazing season and they really are a joy to watch. And part of the entertainment is you're never quite sure what tactics uh, even Bionchik is going to employ for the particular game. You know, if you look at other sides in the league, they're quite predictable. You know, I think hell will definitely be a much colder place before Anatoly Jurovic plays anything other than a 3-5-2 Energetic, for example. Um, but beyond it, you never know what's coming and you never know what the starting lineup's going to be. He's not afraid to drop big names for tactical reasons for the greater good, the Solovays or the Kastrovs or players like this. And you're right, I thought their defeat down at Neman was very, very unlucky. I think there was in particular a force field across the Neman goal in the second half of that game. But, you know, I think the performance against Dinamo Minsk was outstanding two weeks ago. Um, Pobody scored one of the goals of the season for me just before um, half time. You have to say though, the one fly in the ointment with Gommel is although they play without fear and they're always looking to attack, they're pretty porous at the back. And I felt that Klimovich in particular was a bit selfish in a couple of occasions for Dinamo when he had a teammate better placed and with a bit better decision making Dinamo could have easily got a draw out of that game but not to take away from how fun Gommel are to watch and I really do hope that they manage to finish in in the top three although it's still pretty difficult to see how that's going to happen I, t- I totally agree. I think that the defensively has is, is, is always been my worry. Uh, they, they bomb on, don't they? But they don't seem to have yeah. a huge amount behind to uh, shop shop when they need to. And of course, that's why we love them. But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're uh, perhaps going to be able to grind out 71 nils, which is why I think I was particularly impressed by the fact they have kept clean sheets in both of their last two games. I know Torpedo are having a pretty rotten season, but still, I, I was impressed by that. I would obviously love to see them. At least be in the at least be in the mix right up to the end, uh, and that you know we we keep we keep saying and right into the end, and, and then I look at the league table and I think we've actually only got a third of the season left, John. So they've already managed to you know last the pace for two thirds of the season. If they're still in the hunt with four or five games to go, uh, they've got Shakhtar twice in those last two games. Uh, you know, in those last five games, apologies. They could lose both and then they could be right out of it or they could win both uh, or they could get four points out of six and all of a sudden they really do look like a, a major force to be reckoned with in that in that shake-up for the top three. Well, if you were a chairman of a new club, uh, one of the clubs that's regularly beamed down from outer space into the Premier League in, in Belarus, who would you want as your manager if you had limitless money? Sergei Gurenko or even beyond check and a hundred times out of a hundred is beyond check. So I think Goma will be not be scared at all of Chachor. I don't know what on earth is going on at Chachor, but it's clearly a very unhappy and intrigue ridden place at the moment. It makes Machiavelli look like an honest and straightforward fellow, really, that goes on there. 
And bearing in mind Shakhtar's troubles at the moment, especially their most recent troubles, in fact, I'm going to force you to say that one of the things that you liked about August John was root breast. <laughs> I'm really sorry here. I know you still don't like him very much. I know we both don't really like the reasons behind Arshevsky's departure, but you can't deny the influence of the new coach, can you? I mean, there's a clear move towards a higher temper. They used to drive me mad with the speed that they move the ball. They don't do that anymore. Islots were very naive against and kept pushing forward and kept getting picked off. And that's one of the reasons, I think, why uh, Rook beat them so heavily. But still, there was a certain ruthlessness and, and a willingness to go for it. And against Shakhtar, albeit with the struggles that they're having at the moment, they absolutely outworked them, outfought them. Uh, and you mentioned earlier on, uh, obviously, about uh, Chernik being uh, in the national team. Well, without about five or six saves, it would have been an absolute cakewalk in that game as well. So hugely impressive. And who knows? You know, they are still a way off, but do you think they might still have a chance if uh, Shakhtar continues to stumble? Well, they've got a chance, of course. Uh, I don't think the new coach has much to do with it, really. All he's done is let the hand break off. I think unless you are Gurenko, you're going to do well with that squad, whoever you are. And Gligorov is not someone who's had a particularly impressive career today, I've, I have to say. So... We've said before on the show that Kirill Alshevsky was a very dogmatic coach. He wants to play one way and that's it. He will not let reality impinge on his views on, on football. This coach, as you rightly identify, has just said, guys, just play with a bit more freedom. Let's see what we can do here. And he's probably not changed too much else. And I bet you... The senior players in that team have just as much an input into tactics and shape as Gligorov does uh, at the moment. So, yeah, let's see how Ruch do. They've as much chance as as Bata, as Dinamo Minsk, probably a better chance than Dinamo Minsk and Gommel, if we're honest. I think they have a possibility to do something. Whether they will or not, I don't know. No, I mean, obviously, from my perspective, I wasn't desperately happy about seeing Tway on the bench for the last game, but you can't really argue with the, the end product, no. which was a win against Shakhtar. No. I would always it, have Tway. It was quite right. It wasn't his sort of game. It was a horrible, sticky pitch, stair rods of rain and a really physical game where a slight guy like Tway, for all his ability to see a pass and for all his ability to ride the physical stuff if he has to, just wasn't the right sort of environment for him. It was more a game for a, a Latev and long diagonal balls played over a hesitant uh, defence or to try and try and win something at a set piece, which is, of course, how the, the goal came about in the end with the great big wet sack of spuds Latev hitting the ball past Chernik. So, interesting. Interesting game and I enjoyed it, even although I don't think it was a very enjoyable game for the, the players or the fans to sit through. Yeah, it was a pretty miserable afternoon in Brest that afternoon, wasn't it? Mm. It really, really mm. was absolutely chucking it down, like you say. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly... Um, because we've mentioned Rook and how pleased we are with, you know, the fact that they're sort of getting back into the title race. We, I think we want as many teams to be involved or putting pressure on Shakhtar as we can, don't we, really? And that win, obviously, I think if Shakhtar won that game, I think we might have felt that that was pretty much it in terms of who the champions were. However, it must be mentioned that number four on our list of five things we liked in August is a team who we've in the past been quite sceptical about in terms of uh, how they rise in the league. But they are a team that, in fact, the only team 
to deny Lee uh, a Rook a league win in August. And that, of course, is Smorgan. And not only did they deny Rook a win in August, they also held Shakhtar. In fact, they were 2-0 up against Shakhtar. So fantastic stuff from a team that uh, realistically has not a hope in this league. Well, yeah. And you say they have not a hope, but of course... Slavia were turned over by Slyutsk on uh, Sunday and Slavia really, really needed to win that game. And had they won that game, they'd have been seven points ahead of Smorgon with 10 games to go or whatever it is. And realistically, there is no way Smorgon were coming back from that. As it is, Slyutsk 1-2-1, two great goals, one from Butarovic in particular is really worth watching uh, on the highlights. They are now 11 points clear of Smorgon and 7 of Slavia. So really, Smorgon will be looking to try and pick up the relegation playoff place. And as we've seen, the team in the relegation playoff place from the Premier League often just is too much for the first league. There's quite a gap between the two leagues. And of course, it does relate, raise a delicious prospect. <laughs> if Smorgon do relegate Slavia, which can't be ruled out at the moment, and Krumkachi finish third, then Smorgon play Krumkachi for the very place that most fair-minded people believe was Krumkachi's by right for, for this season. So it's funny how football works out sometimes. But I have to say, I, I, it's more going to a team I've quite warmed to, however they came into the league. I really like some of the players that uh, they've brought in, Yamusa Kamara and some of the recent lone boys. So, you know, good luck to them. They've kept themselves in it just about. I think what's interesting there is as well is that they did show enough promise uh, up to the transfer window for there to be a belief that they weren't complete no-hopers and that they needed a few players to make them competitive. And that's what they did. They went out and got a few players. They brought in Pasovic and Leonovic. They brought in Shapko. And I was pleased Shapko as well, because he came in as this much heralded sort of Dinamo Minsk uh, rising uh, star mm. at, uh, in goal. Had a couple of shocking games. I felt made a few mistakes. Yeah, very nervous. Mm. And then he came back, didn't he? And uh, he's, he's, he's recently he's looked a lot better. So, yeah, the, the, the additions have yeah. been key. key. They, look, they look like they might have a chance, as you say. They've, you know, they have played uh, Slavia twice, now, haven't they? So they haven't got that possibility of you know, closing the gap. Uh, I've checked the fixtures, and there's no more dead Sputnik games either. So it really is a race to the finish on actual games between both sides. Both have got some difficult fixtures coming up. I think Sporgan are playing Bata at their cabbage patch this weekend with the red and green seats. So we'll see how Bata stand up to that because Bata have had COVID problems and they haven't looked particularly great of late. They were quite lucky to get a point against these lots last weekend, I felt. So that's going to be a very interesting uh, one to watch. Certainly those home games are, aren't they, key? I mean, I think I think Smogham, yeah. if they're going to stay up, they're going to need to win three or four yeah. of their home games, I think, really, because yeah. away from home, they don't travel particularly well, do they? At home, they're a real handful, aren't they? I mean, I've loved watching them up there. And, and yeah. uh, you know, there's just a sense about that. You know, they didn't play it for the first few weeks because it wasn't ready, was it? And then I've, I've really enjoyed the sort of vociferous support. They've got great fans. And you're right, you can see a real improvement when you consider the Diddy team that Energetic beat 3-0 on the first day when Koval 
you know, could barely break into a run and they'd half a dozen quite poor first league players in that team. And you look at the squad now, um, you know, your Kamaras, you've mentioned Pasovic and Leonovic, you know, these guys really bringing them on a bit. I, I, I think they've got every chance. Now, when we last spoke, we were sort of at the beginning of a Nemen Grodno revival, weren't we, John? And uh, goodness me, well, how could how could we get through five things we liked in August without mentioning Nemen Grodno? What a what a run they've been on! Quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah, and I think Nemen do this every year. I mean, obviously, we've only been watching the league closely for two seasons, but if you look back into history, there's a moment every season where Neyman just suddenly go on an extraordinary run out of nowhere. And it seems like they're bad luck. Is it a bit of an end? We saw that they were quite lucky against Gomo, but they certainly weren't lucky against the likes of FK Minsk up at Minsk ground, who they absolutely annihilated them um, that day. And of course, they were three up at half time against Energetic on on Sunday, and I think Energetic were probably quite fortunate that Neyman just decided to be gentleman about it and pass the ball around and not look for further damage in the second half. Yeah, they haven't really brought anyone in, have they? I mean, it's pretty much the same team that they had before that couldn't win for for Toffee, you know. And now all of a sudden they say they can't they can't stop scoring as well. I think it was sixteen goals in six games altogether. Yeah, extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary run of form. And I am pleased for uh, Igor Kovalevich, who cut a beleaguered figure in the first ten games or so. The season, as we all remember, offered his resignation, which wasn't accepted. So it's good to see that they've turned it around. They're obviously going to be around finances permitting next season. So that's good to see. You have to say, though, that a team that's really tanking and has all season, and I really don't understand it, is Torpedo. They've just been awful. They're awful to watch. They also can't buy a win. Um, and you want to talk, I think, about what you think is probably the game of the season at Dinamo Brest, which, of course, involved Torpedo. Well, I, I'm ashamed to say that, actually, I, I didn't get to watch the whole of this game, but I saw Bruce um, messaging about it excitedly on Discord, and I was like, right, I need to get on this one. Um, it was an absolute cracker what I saw of it. But again, you know, as you say, this is this is our honourable mention, as I say, the sixth thing we liked, um, but not quite good enough for the top five, because... You know, Dinamo are 2 0 down. Do you know what I'm going to mention now, John? I'm going to mention the crowd at Dinamo Brest because I never get through oh, an episode. You, really, you never mention that. Do you? Never mention that. Never Just heard to... you talk about that. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, the crowd were fantastic. But, but, but Torpedo should have won that game. I think their chances are, I think 2 1. I remember distinctly that they had a fantastic chance to go 3 1 up. And I think that would have killed it then, but they didn't. 2 all, 3 2. Uh, fantastic reward from the crowd when they when, and they missed a penalty as well, didn't they? That game so quite fantastic. I agree with you, Bruce. One of the best games I watched uh, in August. Although I didn't watch all of it, I watched most of it, and then I watched the uh, ABFF highlights, and they really were tremendous. So yeah, fantastic stuff. But yeah, Torpedo. I do feel very sorry for the Torpedo fans. They've had a miserable yeah. season, uh, and things. I think they've done enough to stay up, and obviously they're not going to be in the bottom uh, three. But ultimately, yeah. I, I bet they can't wait for the season to end, can they? Yeah, I mean. That match was like football as suicide chess. The the defences just seemed to give up. And there were innumerable chances at both ends. I think Torpedo passed up three or four glaring 
chances, including a, a penalty that Stepanov turned onto the post as well. And that really was the pivotal moment um, for me. And as you say, when Tedko's free kick goes in for the win, the late winner, I mean, the atmosphere, the roof just comes off the stadium. And there you have the contrast between Dinamo and Ruch. Dinamo have, what, 7,000 in for a game against a team in lower mid-table who aren't very exciting to watch. Meanwhile, astroturfed Ruch and their bot fans can merely manage 600 for the champions-elect coming to town. So I think that tells you all you need to know about the status of breast football, really, and I do agree with you, Bruce, that that's one of the probably top five games of the season. So he couldn't get through this five things we liked in August without moaning about Root, could he? He just couldn't. Never mind. <laughs> They're such an easy target, though. They're just a detestable <laughs> outfit, really, in every sense. But you still like the fact they beat Shakhtar, because you don't like Shakhtar either. Anyway, we will, be, we will move on. Uh, that's the end of part one. Thank you for uh, sticking with us for our five things that we liked. In fact, six things that we liked, really. Uh, we'll be back in a minute in part two. So today it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you Jack Gillies. Now, I wasn't aware um, of Jack Gillies' interest in women's football, always interested in uh, Belarus as a country. Uh, so I was fascinated uh, to sit down with him earlier this week and have a little chat with him about why he started uh, researching uh, Belarus as a country and as a footballing nation and also his particular interest in the female game. Hello, Jack. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Um, I think it's fair to say that most of us started taking interest in Belarus and Belarusian football uh, last April. But your uh, interest in the country, as well as the football, dates from a bit before that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. First of all, Dobrijin, um, I'd like to say, as they'd say in Belarus. But yeah, it stems from, I watched a Channel 4 documentary um, called Europe's Last Dictatorship. It was obviously about Belarus. And I think I got a bit of an interest. I thought, this is like if the Soviet Union had made it to 2021, um, or not, sorry, the 21st century, um, that's what it would have been like. I think I sort of took a real interest in Belarus from there. And then I, I like Russian football, so I thought, well, Belarus, you know, they've got football. And I started looking, and of course, you know about Bate Borislov from Arsenal playing them in the Europa League semi-regularly. Um, Arsenal used to seem to get them, and then Bate Borislov also got into the... Champions League quite regularly when I was beginning to take an interest in Belarus as a country and you know from there it just sort of grew and now I regularly keep an eye on the Belarusian league and I keep an eye out on all the teams I like like Dinamo Minsk, Vitebiesk and um, Neyman Grodna is another one that I take a big interest in thanks to the fan page on Twitter um, gives us really good updates in English which I think is quite rare so yeah and um, I've also been watching a lot of uh, Mr Bald over the um, lockdown as well and he gave some great insight into Belarus as well. So it's a fascinating country. And um, like I said, I think it's really like if the Soviet Union had survived in the 21st century, I really think that's what it would have been. Belarus is the closest thing to it. So yeah, and a lovely country with lovely people as well. Yeah, that's certainly my impression as well. And I think you've also gone a little bit back in time and you delved into the history books and started to look a little bit at um, which of the current BPL teams were actually quite successful in the Soviet era. Because obviously, uh, before they had their own league in their own country, they used to play alongside all the other big Russian teams. Now, I think Dino Minsk is the obvious ones, but there are other examples of teams from yeah. Belarus that did well before uh, the independent uh, nation was uh, set up, wasn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, Dynamo um, Brest, as an example, they were always very strong within the Soviet Cup. And that's quite rare that you find teams like that doing quite well. Because obviously, you had the teams from the big cities like Dynamo Tbilisi from Georgia and obviously Moscow and Kiev. But it was really rare for a republic like Belarus that their second city tended to have a good team as well. So, you know, Brest were quite competitive within the Soviet league system. And he had a few others in there that sadly don't exist anymore. They've changed into different names um, post-independence as part of de-Sovietization, if you like. Um, so th- there was a few others that, um, if you look back in the history books, like you said, you will find out they had different names. There was a lot of locomotives and um, CSKAs and everything like that that are obviously the good old Soviet names that unfortunately don't have those names anymore due to financial. I know a lot of Russian oligarchs have come sniffing about Belarusian football like they have in Moldova and Ukraine as well. So I think those teams really stressed when it surprised me because like I said, Belarus was quite a minor republic. I think people will know that. Um, So to have teams from provincial areas doing quite well was quite a rare thing because you didn't get that in Ukraine or Georgia or the Central Asian republics. So it, it was it's just brilliant and I think Belarus has a rich history when it comes to um, Soviet era football and quite a largely ignored one unfortunately especially um, even that Dynamo Minsk side that were one of the most successful outside of Russia and Ukraine as well even they get largely overlooked which I think is really a shame Absolutely I think it's, it's right we tend to think that uh, I think Bate Borisov as you say draw all the headlines especially to an English audience from what happened as you say back in the early 2012-13-14 sort of era and, and their games with Arsenal but yeah there's, there's certainly other teams that as you say historically I remember Nim and Grodno being mentioned as well as uh, I think Ivan in a previous uh, episode mentioned that they got to a, to a Russian Cup final or, or done very well in one of the Russian Cup competitions um, I know also Jack you're really interested in, in, in women's football in Belarus now I have to confess I'm not uh, an expert on this so I'm really looking forward to some insight into it I did notice that uh, the two teams in in the Women's Champions League this year were FK uh, and Dinamo Minsk. And I thought that was quite interesting because Dinamo Minsk obviously a big team, but FK Minsk are not a big team. So how have they established themselves as sort of one of the powerhouses of uh, women's football? I think, you know, the Lukashenko regime is always trying to make itself look more acceptable to the West. And I think investing in women's sport was a way of doing that. And so basically FK Minsk got quite a lot of money from the government. Um, to help grow um, the women's sport in Belarus. So I think it's good. You know, it's not coming from a good intentions, obviously, um, but it is good to see women's football grow in the country. But to have the two Minsk teams in the Champions League was really, really good. And, you know, I've, I think I'm interested in women's football just about anywhere. It started really watching Hibs ladies. If people know me, I'm a big Hibs fan and watching Scotland at the Women's World Cup. And I just, you know, again, I transferred that over to Belarus. I think the Belarusian women's leagues come on leaps and bounds from when it first properly got established. But there's a lot of disparity between teams that are obviously favoured by the government and teams that aren't, or teams that can find private backing. Now, as we know, Russian oligarchs are very old-fashioned on their views on women, so that doesn't tend to have the same level of investment that it does in the men's game. But the government have stepped in, and like I said, it's probably to make itself more acceptable to the West, but Lukashenko's regime and the um, ministries relevant to sport have invested a lot. I think it's the FK Minsk are one of those sides. Um, and Dinamo, as one of the biggest clubs in Belarus, have the money to spare anyway. And you regularly see big scorelines when Dinamo play. I think recently they beat Vitebsk 17-0 in the Women's Cup, which is um, 
not great. You know, I, I, I never like seeing scorelines like that. Whilst it's always good for your team to win big, it doesn't help the game grow um, any. So that you regularly get the big scorelines when another big team like FK play some of the smaller teams in the division, like Grodner's ladies team, you are getting big scorelines. I think that I can't remember what teams are playing, but there was a 22 0 not that long ago in the league. That's really difficult, isn't it? Because obviously then that means, I mean, I did notice that both FK and Dinamo went out in the first first day, at the first stage of the of the Women's Champions League, which is a shame, obviously, after following on from the fairly abject failure of all the men's teams in, in Europe. Do you think that's partly down to the fact that they don't really have an awful lot of competitive football during their own league season and then suddenly they have to go and play against European teams in which, you know, some, some, some of those leagues that they're playing against, you know, obviously there's a, there's a higher level, of, there's less, uh, less of a, 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 a disparate... Uh, <laughs> In terms of uh, finance and everything, those those teams are more evenly matched, shall we say, on a week to week basis. And then suddenly, uh, you know, that's not what they're used to. If you beat a team seventeen nil, that's not a huge test, is it? In terms of warming mm. up for a European game. Yeah, definitely. It's a similar issue in Scotland. Um, I used to, I follow the Hibs women, and we have a similar issue because it's only us in Glasgow. But in previous years, they were up there challenging, and we never did well in Europe. I mean, Glasgow, as we speak, are getting beat by a Swiss team. It happens in Belarus. They, because it's not competitive, they're getting thrown in to the Champions League qualifiers and they're not succeeding because they, they're not used to that level. And I think that's something that in women's football in particular needs to be changed. And what's going to help is if the Belarusian regime can stop, you know, giving money to the big clubs like Dinamo and like FK and they can start focusing on more of the provincial teams because the more teams they grow, the more they'll get in. And I know that it will suit... Um, the sort of aims at to have Belarus being more of a sport in force in Europe, which I do think they should be. I think Belarusian clubs at both the men and the women's level should be up there competing at the level. Sort of Polish and Ukrainian clubs always seem to compete. You know, Poland and Ukraine almost tend to get at least one team in a group stage of a competition, whether it be the Conference League, the Europa League, or the Champions League. So I think at both, I know the women's only have the Champions League right now, but I think at both the men and the women's level, the Belarusian um, government should be doing more to try and help get teams into the group stage because it'll bring more money into the sport and it would make Belarus, you know, it would restore from its former, former glory, if you like, and it would grow the women's game, which I think is massive because it'll bring them more into step with Russia and Ukraine where women's footballs grow in Russia or go into the women's Euros. Um, and I think Belarus should try and follow suit and try and get to an international tournament um, with the women's team as well. Thank you for your time, Jack. Really, really interesting. I think I probably, as I say, I'm, I'm guilty of not having paid much attention to uh, women's football in Belarus before tonight. And uh, certainly that's food for thought. And as I say, I, I totally agree with you in the sense that um, perhaps if the money were more evenly distributed amongst the teams, then maybe we could see it more. Rather than focusing all your attentions on, it would seem, FK Minsk and you say Dinamo Minsk with big club self, self-financing, self basically, in terms of the women's team, perhaps spread that money around a bit more evenly, which will help the domestic league. And also that should then not have a knock-on effect in Europe. But thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. No and uh, we'll hope to hear from you again at some point to see if, uh, let's hope this time next year we're celebrating uh, a little bit more success for both the men's and the women's teams in Europe. Absolutely. Thanks, Jack. That was absolutely brilliant. Really, really lovely to speak to you. Uh, love it. You know how enthusiastic we are about uh, Belarus and Belarusian football. It was just fantastic to have somebody else on our show, as always, who um, who just seems to love it as much as we do, even if perhaps uh, your focus is slightly more towards a women's game than either of us. I'm delighted to learn a bit more about it from you, though. So, I suppose, John, there's not really much to add to that, other than that uh, after part two, as always, we'll come part three. 
So as always, part three is about what's coming. But unfortunately, thanks to the goddamn international break yet again, we can't talk about any matches this weekend in the Vichyshire Liga. However, we can, of course, uh, take you through some of the highlights of the Vichyshire Liga this weekend. And there are a couple of big games, aren't there, John? Yeah, that's right. I think what we're seeing now in the Vichyshire Liga is the top three being fairly steady. And the team that's coming up and the rails behind them seems to change every week. Um, at the moment, it's Volnopinsk, but again, they're as about as predictable as a, a summer afternoon in in rural England at the moment. It's either pouring with rain there or quite sunny. You can never quite tell. They really are unpredictable, aren't they, John? But yeah. I have noticed that. Um, if uh, Arsenal actually beat Krimkachi and Volnapintz win at Baranovici, which I would expect them to do, Volnapintz actually go third. So, you know, there is a lot riding on this weekend, isn't there? And, and I think that's nice because obviously we're, we're disappointed not to get any Vichyshire Liga to watch. But two games for me that are, are really important. Obviously, both Locomotive Gommel and uh, Dnepa really need to win and they're losing touch with the top three. And, and, you know, ultimately, at the moment, I'd fancy Arsenal to beat Krimkachi and out of nowhere, as you say, very unpredictable. But they do like to string victories together, as do no men in the Vichyshire Liga. Volna may well end up in third place at the end of the weekend. And I, I find that quite bizarre because I've never really considered that they could possibly even play in the uh, promotion playoff game. But it looks like they might have a chance. You know, it, if you remember at the very beginning when we spoke about the Vichyshire Liga, Volna we had down as one of the outsiders simply because they'd made a couple of eye-catching signings. And of course, they have Sergei Yaskovich as manager, who managed Arsenal um, last season, and he left in the close season to take the job at at Volnopinsk. Pinsk is a quite a big footballing town. Volnopinsk are the sort of state-run team, and there's also Stenlas uh, in the regional tiers, who are the private team, who are also quite strong at that level. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up third. I don't think they'll finish any higher. The one thing you said Volna should win at Baranovici, the reason they haven't established themselves firmly in the top three is they keep losing to the likes of Lida and Baranovici and the teams at the bottom of the league. So if they get over that particular hump, then yes, I might start thinking, hmm, Volna might end up third in the table. But also for me, a big story in the Prashaya, uh, Liam, is the job that Vitaly Pavlov has done at Belshina, who have no money and who had a really gubbin squad of young boys put together before he took the job, I think in mid-March, just before the season started. And in 20 games, he's really made them into a hard-to-beat team, um, a consistent team too, which is something of a premium uh, at this level. So again, although we had Boshina's outsiders like Volna before pre-season uh, for the promotion race, it looks like they're a much stronger candidate than anyone expected. So definitely some focus on the Shire League this weekend, which will be lovely. We might be back before the Barté Shakhtar game, but if we're not, that could be a fascinating one as well, couldn't it, John? That could really decide Barté's chances of, uh, of overtaking Shakhtar. But that's a couple of weeks away. We, we may be back the week before or we may be back the week after. But um, we'll certainly be back at some point in September. I hope you've enjoyed us tonight and we'll see you again soon.
Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening.